So come. I love it. Hey, I wanted to say thank you to you. Some of you weren't here last week, so you didn't hear the announcement. But uh, this uh, two weeks from now, Polly and I, uh, the, the wonderful thing is our church, uh, my boss, our church council have all asked uh, or, or told us three years ago we were going to take a, an eight-week sabbatical and it didn't fit in our calendar. It fits right now. So Polly and I get to go on an eight-week sabbatical. We're super excited about it. That's going to come up on a sabbatical. I really, I really hope to hear what the next, uh, the next season of our church is supposed to go into. I, I feel like when I started ministry 30 years ago, that, that I spent so much time planning and preparing what church was going to look like and what our mission, our vision, our values. And I feel like the Lord say, Lance, um, get ready because there's something wonderful happening and I want to pull you aside for a few weeks to get your heart ready for this next season. Right? And, and I, I'm asking God, what are you doing in the Puget Sound region? What are you going to do with Puget Sound Foursquare Church? Is there something you want to do to take us to this, this different place? I don't want to say the words next level. Because I feel like there's something God wants to take us to a deeper place. And uh, I even got a, a word this, from the last service. Somebody walked up and said, the sabbatical for you is going to be a time where God's going to reveal to you what our next steps are as a church. Right? So super excited about that. I, I'm I'm Really asking for your prayers during that time away and uh, look forward to that. But I wanted to tell you, those of you that didn't know that that's coming, it's going to come. And, and you know, we have an amazing team here. So uh, in fact, some of you think the guy that came up and received the offering was me. So uh, that's the ironic thing. Is some people, seriously, Pastor John, our children's person, Pastor, people will come up to him after I'm done preaching and thank him for the sermon he just preached. It's hilarious. They do the same for me when he's preaching. Wow, great word, Lance. And I'm like, yeah, it was. Amen. No, it's fun. Amen, amen. Hey, we are in uh, the, the fourth week of a series entitled Reawaken Shalom, where we really felt God bringing us back to the place of looking at peace. I think if there's one thing our world lacks and is longing for more than anything else is peace. We look for it, we fight for it, we, we, we will we'll beg and borrow and steal for it. We just want a minute of peace. Regardless of, of what it costs, we'll do anything to try to get just an assemblance of it. You know, peace of mind at some level. But we'll do something we can because I think God really created us with a void. And that void is peace that only is fit by God. We'll try everything but God to put in there. But really, it's, it's him that is the one that, that provides the peace. The word peace in the Old Testament is the, the Hebrew word shalom. Which means, which means completeness or uh, the centeredness of who you are. I love the word shalom because it gives this indicator. It's a blessing you pronounce on someone when you greet them. We say in English, hello. They say shalom, which means upon you I pronounce completeness. Upon you I pronounce wholeness. Wouldn't you love to, to have that as your greeting? Upon you today I pronounce completeness and wholeness. I feel like if there's one thing that we're lacking yet desiring so desperately, it's completeness and wholeness. We've been studying Psalm 23, or at least started to study Psalm 23. Uh, if you've been with us for the last four weeks, my intention was to go through all six of its verses, and I got stuck in verse one. You know, and so, uh, and, and, and let me tell you this, the longer I read those six verses of Psalm 23, the, the more I'm convinced we could take the entire year and study the, the Word of God in Psalm 23, because there's so much He wants for us to see. And I know that in this process of Psalm 23, David used this, 
this metaphor of shepherding sheep to really get to the picture of who, who we are as humans and to really begin to show us uh, who we are. And Psalm 23 is this wonderful picture of a shepherd and some sheep. King David writes this particular chapter and the book of Psalms nearing the end of his life. I love that when I read the book of Psalms. I love even Psalm 23 specifically because it's this picture of David who had made some really big, uh, wonderful decisions and some really, really dumb ones. This is a guy who is looking back on his life and he comes up with, the Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing, there is nothing I want more than that. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. This is the David who encountered the giant killing moment. This is the David who made a horrible decision to cheat on his his wife with another man's wife and to cover it up, killed her in the process. This is the same David who had a son that rebelled against his own kingdom and tried to overthrow his daddy's kingdom. I wonder what it was like for a guy like King David in all of his brokenness to write a psalm declaring the greatness of who God is in the midst of all of his own brokenness. I want to take a minute and read this psalm with you. I'm, I'm trying to mix it up a little bit. I'm using the New Revised Standard Version because I want to read this together with you up on the screen. We're going to throw the words up there. And I'd like to read it with you. Maybe you're not familiar with this particular translation, but this is just one I went through as I was studying this week. So will you join me as we read this together? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Over the last several weeks, we've been talking about the Lord being our shepherd. And last week, we talked about the fact that he's our shepherd personally. Today, I want to I wanna jump light years ahead and move down to verse 3. And, and I want to talk to you about verse 3. This, this is just as I was praying and seeking the heart of God on this particular passage. This jumped out at me. In Psalm 23, verse 3, it says, He restores my soul. He restores my soul. This is David who who writes this and says, he restores my soul. I think about David and all of his history and what brought him to the place that he was. I think about David and and some of his own brokenness, perhaps. I think about King David and, and, and what it was like for him before he was King David. And what kind of wounds there must have been in his own life from perhaps his own father and what he dealt with. He restores my soul. David writes this because he sensed the Lord bringing healing to a place in his life that he needed desperate healing. So what's your soul? Man, there are, there are uh, psychologists and doctors and super smart scientific types of people and even some who are theologians who disagree on the issue of the human soul. Sometimes people will take the soul and lump that into uh, a picture of your spirit. 
and they'll say that humanity is made up of two parts, uh, body and soul or spirit, body and soul. And, and, and I would ver- uh, venture a guess to say, I think it's more than that. I think the humanity is made up of three parts. I think it's body, soul, and spirit. In fact, I think I've heard it best put this way when trying to understand the breakdown of the body, soul, and spirit. Uh, a guy writes this. He says, I think that you, that humanity, every one of us as humans, we are spirit that have a soul that live in a dirt body. Uh, to me, that's one of the best pictures. You are spirit. In other words, you are spirit. God made you. When you die, your body's going to be in a grave and your spirit's going to go to heaven, right? You are spirit that has a soul that lives in a dirt body, right? This body that's decaying and, and one day we'll go back to the dust of the earth from which it was created, right? The Bible also says that one day when Jesus returns, we get a new body. And you say amen. 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 Right there. I, I'm telling you, I want a normal sized body next time. I, <laughs> Not this monstrous huge one. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but, but I can tell you, uh, you are spirit, but you have a soul and live in a dirt body. What's your soul? I would just tell you this. I think your soul, in, in essence, my friend Janicini said this. She said your soul is everything from the neck up. <laughs> she said your soul is your thinker. It's where you're the seat of your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's the, the you that makes you you. You're a spirit, but you have a thinker. You have something that that processes life and live in a dirt body. It makes me stop and think to myself how many of us can have a a healthy body but a broken thinker. Some of you have a, a healthy spirit but a broken thinker. Some of you have a healthy spirit and a healthy body but a broken soul. In fact, if I could title this sermon differently than I did, I would, I would entitle it Soul Sickness. But I think some of us have a soul sickness. We have a broken thinker. And our conclusions are come out the way that they do because in a lot of ways we, we rationalize or we come up with conclusions in, in really weird ways. And I think in a lot of ways it's, it, we, we suffer from a soul sickness. I love this. John, uh, the Apostle John writes this in 3 John chapter 2, when, near the end of the Bible. He writes this, Dear friend, I'm praying that all is well with you and that your body is healthy as I know your soul is. Your soul. Your soul. King David writes in Psalm 23, He restores my soul. The, the word restore there in the Hebrew, it's an interesting word. It actually uh, is, is written in the Hebrew in the Old Testament over a thousand times. The restoration or the restoring of a soul. The word restore means to refresh. I love this description of the word restore. It means to move back to the point of departure. I love it. The word restore means to be brought back to the place where the train went off the tracks. (laughs) To, To be brought back, to be refreshed or restored back to the place where the train jumped the tracks. And why or how that whole process happened is really, it's, it's really different for every one of us. Some of us incurred pain as a child. Some of us incurred pain as an adult. Some of us incurred something and caused us to come up with a set of conclusions that cause us to see life through a filter that may not be true. And therefore we become soul sick and we start to navigate life with this idea that our, our, our view of life is right and everyone else is wrong. I think there's a soul sickness epidemic in our country today. Come on. 
There's a couple ways to deal with this. I remember back, gosh, it wasn't long, it was back in 2010, I went to some uh, godly counseling. I went and saw a, a counselor who was really going to help me. And I remember my first uh, meeting in his office, uh, he concluded quickly that I was soul sick. <laughs> I go, wait, what do you mean? He's like, dude, your thinker's wacky. He didn't say it like that. He was a little bit more clinical than that. But I can tell you, that's what I took away from it. My concluder was all messed up. How I concluded life, right? See, see, when I was younger, I, I had a really difficult uh, thing in my life that happened when I was a little boy. And, and some of that stuff that took place in my life uh, made me come to conclusions that, that the only way I was going to navigate was to, uh, well, to I'll put it this way. I wanted to become the hitter instead of the hitty of life. I was going to take it to somebody before somebody took it to me. I was going to go aggressively go after life. And let me tell you this. If you want to start a church or a business, that's a, great, that's a great mentality to start with. Horrible to maintain. Because you just keep hurting people in the process. And I realized that my thinker was broken. And I, I'm the guy who would go water skiing with you and decide once I fell what, to, to hang on to the rope because I was going to stop the darn boat. Right? Let me tell you this. That doesn't work. When you fall, let go of the rope. But the controller in me, because of my sick soul, my, my thinker was broken, I felt like I needed to control everything. And I was going to control you and you and you and you and did damage to people all around me because that's not how you do it. I'm right, you're wrong. I just know that because I'm the controller. And going to get some counseling, I realized like, man, my soul, my thinker is sick. It's interesting how um, uh, we kind of tend to think that some, let me tell you this, some people during my soul sickness to start with, I I needed some counseling. You know what else I needed? Medication. I took it. I took medication because I got super depressed. Does that freak you out? Some of you need it. Let me tell you this, right? You know what else I do? Every day this morning, I put in my contacts today. I put in my contacts because without them, you're just fuzzy. You're just a big blur to me. Right, but I put them in, and you're handsome and beautiful. I can tell you, like, look at you. But, but when I take them out, you're nothing, right? So this medication I put in my eyes every day are called contact lenses. Let me tell you what I did when I took the depression medication. It was like contact lenses for my soul. It helped me just see better. I wished it would have given me superhuman ability to see more clearly, but I needed counseling for that. Can I just tell you, if you're on some sort of medication, good for you. All right. Get over the stigma. Some of us get, lose our minds over the thing because God might be using that to bring some, some semblance of order. It doesn't make you superhuman. It doesn't take the Holy Spirit away. <laughs> you still got a deal. Amen? It's not a crutch. It's just a tool. Amen. I went to a pastor's conference one time where a pastor stood up there, 4,000 pastors, and he, and he reaches up there and he, he pats his pocket and he pulls this bottle of pills out and he goes, oh, these, these are my anxiety pills. They have to take these so I can talk to you. And like... I don't remember a word he said. But I was like, wow. And all these pastors were like, oh, you're a Christian, you can't take that. You know, and it was like this weird moment. And I was like, all these people just lost their minds over a moment where somebody just needed some help. And I was like, good on you, man. Like, get some help. Amen. Right? Spring my ankle, I'm gonna wrap it up. Right? So at the same time, if my head needs some help, I'm gonna get some health. Some help. Amen. Anyway, it's the point. Psalm 23, David writes this, he restores my soul. I think about King David, what it must have been like for him as a son with a father who, who didn't even recognize him as a son. What kind of damage that must have done to his emotions. So, so remember, the prophet comes to Jesse, his dad, and says, hey, Jesse, one of your sons is going to be the king of the nation. He's like, wow, that's awesome. 
the prophet says to him, hey, why don't you bring your sons in front of me and all 11 or 12 of your sons or whatever it is, I'll pick the one that God tells me to pick to be the next king of the nation. Wonderful. So he lines all of his sons up and the prophet goes down and goes, not you, not you, not you, not you, not you. Gets to the end and then he's like, I love this. The prophet looks over at his dad and says, Jesse, you got any other sons? What kind of emotional damage would there have been when he's like, oh yeah, I got this other one. His name's David. He's out there. Right? His dad didn't even acknowledge that he was a son. And this is the one who who comes and and he eventually kills the giant and he eventually murders that husband and he eventually has a son that that, that turns on him and tries to take over his kingdom. Let me tell you this. If there was a dude who needed a a soul restoration, it was David. Or Lance. Or you. A moment where we could find the refreshness of God saying, I want to restore your broken thinker. Everything inside of me wants to go and, and tell you all the psychology of how it is that you go about getting your stored, restored thinker, but I feel like the Lord is just saying, nope, stay in Psalm 23. So we're going to do that. How did David find a restored soul? I love this. David found a restored soul. By the way, let me just, just for fun, Psalm 22. This is the psalm just before Psalm 23. The one that we're reading right now, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want anything else. He meets green pastures, still waters. The, the psalm just before this, listen how it starts. This is the same David. He writes this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning, my God, I cry day by day, but you don't answer, and night by night I find no rest. You just see this David in his humanity. How many understand that? Some of you, some of you relate with Psalm 22 way more than Psalm 23. And we find ourselves like, gosh, God, come on. I, I, love the, I love the humanity of David when he just says, listen, God, restore my soul. So how did God restore David's soul? I love this. One of the first things God did to restore David's soul, he made David lie down. He made David lie down. God restored David's soul by making him lie down. Right, let, me, let me explain. Psalm 23 says this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leaves me beside still waters. God restored David's thinker by making him lie down. Let me give you the Lance translation. God restored David's thinker by telling him no. God restored David's thinker by telling him, sit down. Just sit down. There are some of us in here today that God is saying to you, and those of us listening online, I will tell you this, that God is telling you, just sit down. But God, if you only, but God, if you would bring about this, but God, if you would make, if God, if you would provide, God, if you would do, and at this point, God's just saying, no. I'm going to tell you an illustration of my own life, but don't let my illustration uh, feel like it's some, how, your, your, issue, your issue, some of you have been praying for a baby, some of you have been praying for hope in your family, some of you have been praying for a, 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 a job, you've been praying for financial blessing, whatever it is, and it seems like God is just saying no to you, and you're trying to figure out how to navigate the, the journey, and you feel like the Lord is just saying to you, not now, no. I, I got this right now, no. So, so in my own journey, we had this moment where Polly and I were, we got asked to become associate pastors at a church in Enumclaw. And I remember um, our, my first day there, I just knew, I, I was the youth pastor here, and then I got asked to be associate pastor over there because I knew that it was my, my upwardly mobile movement that I was going to be the next big deal. And I was going to eventually take over that church or something. And, and anyway, in the process of that whole deal, I remember thinking to myself, like, God, this is an opportunity for me. 
The very first, listen to this, the very first day I got there, the very first day I got there, a man comes up to me and goes, I have a prophetic word for you, Lance. I said, what's the prophetic word? He goes, God wants to break you. And I was like, that doesn't feel like a fun prophetic word. He's like, no, God wants to break you. And he goes, I'm not finished because you're a wild donkey. And he want, God wants to, to bridle you because you're out of control. And I was like, okay, I don't like that word. I think that's not from Jesus. Right? So I remember that moment where trying to navigate the waters of dealing with having to deal with this disappointment, feeling like I'm supposed to be the one who's going to somehow get this. I mean, I kept on saying to God, God, if you wanted me, I thought the workers were, were, were uh, few, the harvest is plentiful. Like, God, I'm asking for your help and like nothing. Right? So I'm getting this, this frustration about how God somehow is going to do something. And I, and I kept thinking to myself, like, God, why don't you just say yes to this? Why don't you just say yes to this? And God just said, listen, I want you to sit down because I need to get to the bottom of you. And some of you right now are hearing the Lord say no to you. You're having the Lord just tell you, no, sit this one out. And it makes you angry, makes you frustrating. You need help. Let me, Mama, awesome. Some of you have been being told no by God and you feel like somehow God's mad at you. Can I just tell you that God's not mad at you? God might very well be having you just sit down because he loves you. In the middle of him navigating you through life, the disappointments, but God, I've been praying for that baby. God, I've been praying for that job. God, I've been praying for this. And all along, God's just saying, it's, it's my call. Right now, no. Wait. God restored David's soul by having him just wait, by having him get green pastures and still waters. And right now, some of you need a restored soul because you're spending so much time trying to push forward and make it happen. And God's saying, listen, I got you. Will you trust me? Another way God wanted to restore David's soul was this. In the darkest valleys, God wanted to restore, God used the darkest valleys, the valley of the shadow of death to restore David's soul. God used the valley of the shadow of death to restore David's soul. God used absolute disappointment. It says here, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It's amazing to me. So, so sheep, in my study of Psalm 23, here's what I found out about sheep. We as humans have uh, round pupils, right? Our round pupils, and we can see forward just fine. Sheep, if you look at a sheep, their eyes kind of sit on the side of their head. And by the way, their pupils are slits. Right, they're a slit that goes in their head. And I can tell you this is the slit in their little eyes. You know, get this. A sheep can actually see almost 360 degrees behind him. Just by looking to the right. Their peripheral vision is insane. They can see almost all the way behind them. It's amazing to me how God calls us sheep. Right? And by the way, they're forward thinking, looking, or looking forward. Their, their view ahead of them is actually a mess. They can't. It looks fuzzy to them looking forward. They have to trust their shepherd it's amazing to me how much where he calls us sheep. And I'm like, yeah, because we spend so much time walking, looking backwards and bumping into everything in front of us. And by the way, I read this too. Sheep absolutely hate walking downhill into dark places. They, they reject it all the time. Can I tell you this? Where God brought about a healing in David's soul was by leading, him, leading sheep into dark places, forcing them to look at him when all they want to do by nature is to look behind themselves. 
We are just like that. The reasons our souls are so messed up is we spend so much time looking behind ourselves at our mistakes, at all the woulda, shoulda, couldas of all the things that happened that we wish wouldn't have happened and all the things that happened. And we, we start bumping into things in front of us. And he's like, listen, if you want to see a restored soul, look forward to your shepherd and that's all you got to see. And I'll bring about a restoration to your thinker. It says he led, he led, he leads the sheep into uh, the valley of the shadow of death. What an ominous thing, isn't it? Dark valleys. You know what's in the bottom of a dark valley? Shepherds lead their sheep into dark valleys because it's super hot on top of the hills. And they lead them down into dark valleys because it's cooler there. Sheep don't know that. Sheep feel like they're being pushed into a thing that makes them feel horrible to walk downhill and have to confront their own insecurities because they can't see forward and in that very well. And I feel like in so many ways, God's saying, will you just trust me as I lead you into this dark valley that I will be with you? I can tell you in, in, in my own version of my own pain in my own life that in my darkest, most lonely season of my life, if there was one thing that stood true, God was right beside me. He was right beside me. He, he, his, he comforted me in the darkest valleys. And you might find in your season, the reason your thinkers are, 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 are maybe sick or your soul is sick is because you haven't allowed God to lead you into that place. That place that feels ominous and terrifying and alone. And you don't know how that's going to happen. But God's saying, if you'll trust me, I'll take you to a place where you will find healing and hope like never before. God's intent is to bring about a healing in our lives. His intent is to, is to fix the soul sickness that we have. Hmm. Hmm. He leads us into dark valleys in order to heal our soul. I love this. In Psalm 139, 7, it says this, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I go down to the place of the dead, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I know God is comforting. I know God will be our source. God restored David, number three, through goodness and mercy. Not only did God restore David in the valley of the shadow, God restored David through goodness and mercy. I remember um, in, when I was younger as a believer, um, goodness to me always meant the absence of pain or trial. And mercy to me meant the, uh, the ability for God to stave off judgment and somehow that was a, a merciful thing for God to stave off judgment. Can I tell you, the longer I've journeyed with Christ, the more I realize I can see God's goodness in pain and trial. In the midst of pain and trial, I see his goodness and his mercy. The, the word mercy, actually in the Hebrew is translated loving kindness. His loving kindness. God wants to restore your soul through mercy, his loving kindness. And he wants to lead you through those places because his, his goodness goes before you. I love that. Goodness and mercy. Goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. I feel like over and over again, my life has, has, has found stability in my soul and in my thinker. Because I've allowed God to, to, in the midst of the hard times, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of all the dark places, that I found God's peace live with me. 
Yeah, can I tell you this? Goodness and mercy uh, aren't the absence of trial. Goodness and mercy happens in the midst of trial. And it's the midst of trial and struggle that I find myself saying, God, I trust you. I don't get it. I don't want it. But I trust you. And I find goodness and peace. I, I want to pray for you today. Because I know that there are people here today who have been saying, Lance, I too feel so sick. And in my brain, I just have this, I have this concluder that is getting me into places that aren't healthy. And I find myself struggling to fix this and do that because my fear is, is that if I don't control it, if I don't solve it, if I don't fix it, then it's never going to work out. And for, for some of you, it's your marriage. For some of you, it's your finances. For some of you, uh, whatever it is, this decision you're trying to make and you're like, God, I got to do something. And I tell you that just even in our worship today, how I felt like the Lord was telling us just to, to step and, and believe God the, the, again to that promise. I feel like the Lord is bringing us as a church back to a place of trusting him and bringing us as a church back to a place of recklessly having faith in him because he's the God who's able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or think. My question is, will we allow our soul sickness to keep us from steps of faith or we allow our soul sickness to drive us to him to get better? Somebody write that down. Some point we got to allow ourselves to say, listen, this soul sickness isn't going to keep me from you. My soul sickness is going to drive me to you and find ourselves with our knee bent saying, God, I am so desperately hungry for you. I know our nation is so sick. I, I can tell it doesn't take but two seconds to turn on your TV or your radio or your internet for you to see the soul sickness of our world and the conclusions they're drawing that is so outlandish. We find ourselves saying, we have the answer. We know who Jesus is. And my question is, is why aren't we walking in the peace that we know is available for us? My fear is that so many of us continue to limp along through life trying to say, no, 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 I can, I can navigate this. I can do this. Instead of saying, God, you know what? You do you your way. You say yes to me. You say no to me. You, you make me sit and I'll sit. You make me go down into a deep valley and I'll go there. You lead me with goodness and mercy through pain and trial and I'll say, okay. Or will we stop and say, God, you're not good because you're not doing it my way. Let's pray. Lord, as we step into this, this place of agreeing that our souls are in need of you, God, I think we can try harder. We can try to self-medicate, perhaps. We could even try to talk ourselves into a good long walk in the woods just to somehow make ourselves have a moment of peace, thinking that that's going to solve the problem. Or the answer is you. The answer is, God, we are, we are so sick without you. And even as believers, our spirit might be alive, but our thinkers might be broken. And so, God, we need your healing. We need your healing as our concluders are messed up. We're doing damage to people who are close to us, and we need it. But can you just say right now, Jesus, heal my thinker. Just heal my soul. Heal my soul. Why so downcast, oh, my soul? Fill me again with your spirit. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, O oh God. Lord, I pray that you help our souls to desire healing. 
that we could believe that, that you could still do more than we could think, more than we can imagine. Bring healing to our souls, God. I think this is just a deposit. I think there's places, some of you come walking in here with incredible trauma. And you experienced incredible trauma some season of your life, whatever it was, and maybe it was even caused by you. And you've been living in this, I'm a, I'm a terrible person, or I, I was horribly hurt, or whatever it was. And, and can I tell you, if you've experienced trauma in your life, you're probably more normal than you think. The real question isn't the trauma. The real question is what you'll do with it. And will we allow God to bring about that healing in our, in our broken soul? Amen? That's good. Good stuff. Listen, come on Friday. I, I want to pray for you. And maybe, maybe you come and just find healing and, and refreshment as we're singing, as we're praying. And there's just some wonderful things. Come and find some healing on that fr- this Friday coming up, 7 o'clock. We've got room for your kiddos if they're, if they're with you. So, so I, want, I want to let that happen. Don't forget for the, the chili cook-off coming up um, that I want to win. And, and so, uh, I'm kidding. Uh, so, so come, it'd be great to happen. My son-in-law, who's a fisherman, uh, he was a fisherman he, up in Alaska. He says, can I make a chowder? And I said, call it Alaskan chili. And so it's coming. So, so he'll do what he's going to do. But I'm telling you, come, and, and it's going to be fantastic. So do that. Can I get you to stand to your feet? God bless you. Be encouraged. Give someone a hug today before you leave. Be blessed.